3-2. Brasso sends one into left field. Gardner going back, and it is up and gone! Mike Brasso has homered! And the Rays have a 2-1 lead! We played for you the highlight straight off the top. A little bit of a switch up here on a Saturday edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz. Thank you very much for being along for the ride. A couple of reminders to write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. Tell your friends about the show. And if you are interested in advertising opportunities, email me at greg.moraz, that's G-R-E-G dot M-R-O-Z, at yahoo.com. So I played the highlight off the top because we only have one game to talk about. And it was probably one of the best playoff games that I've ever seen. I know I said that after the Reds and the Braves had their 13-inning game, but this time, I really mean it. So let's take you back to that game. The Rays win 2-1 to over the Yankees. There were just three hits for each side in this game. All runs came on solo homers. Garrett Cole got the start for New York. Tyler Glasnow got the start for Tampa Bay. Now, a little bit different on both sides. Cole was going to go as long as humanly possible. That's why you paid him nine years and $324 million. Glasnow, meanwhile, was pitching on two days rest and most likely was the opener in order to get him what I would say is a bullpen day because the Rays were not going to be comfortable trying to get five innings out of Blake Snell on three days rest. Now, I say that because Blake Snell had surgery, and the Rays have not let him go past six all year. In fact, the only time he has pitched into the sixth inning has been during the playoffs. So Glasnow was basically being used as an opener on his bullpen day. Fun fact, Cole and Glasnow were teammates on the Pirates back in 2014. They were in the playoffs together in 2014. There was a joke that was going around Twitter today saying, who would have thought that Tyler Glasnow and Garrett Cole would be pitching against each other in a winner-take-all playoff series? And there were a lot of Pirates fans that were just very sad and upset because of that. And quite frankly, I can't say that I blame them. And I will also say that the Chris Archer trade for Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and I forget who was the third piece of that trade, that is more and more looking like an absolute robbery by the Tampa Bay Rays as it looks like the Pirates are going to decline the $11 million option on Chris Archer for next year. Now, on the game. It's a scoreless game until the top of the fourth inning. That's when Aaron Judge hits an opposite field shot against reliever Nick Anderson. Anderson came in with one out in the third inning, part of Kevin Cash's bullpenning moves. And I'll get into that once we get into the box score analysis. And I think it's important because it's going to underscore the race strategy for the rest of the playoffs. So Aaron Judge goes the opposite way. The ball barely gets out of the yard. Judge has been criticized by Yankee fans all over Twitter because they can't be criticized in the ballpark about his struggles during the postseason and Judge delivered. However, bottom five, Austin Meadows comes up and he homers to right field against Garrett Cole. That was the first hit of the ball game for Tampa Bay. Imagine that. Garrett Cole was throwing a no-hitter. He had the bases loaded against him in the bottom of the first inning thanks to a pair of walks and a hit-by-pitch of Randy Arozarena. 
but he got Joey Wendell to strike out to end the inning. So, Judge's home run in the fourth makes it a one nothing Yankee game. Then, bottom five, Austin Meadows' home run ties the game at one. So, it remains a 1-1 ball game going into the bottom of the eighth inning. This was one of the best at-bats that I have ever seen. Mike Brasso comes up with one out. He's squaring up with a roll as Chapman. Chapman had come in to get the final out of the seventh inning, which I thought was a very odd move by Aaron Boone because Boone didn't seem to be following the history. The only other time that Aroldis Chapman had pitched more than one inning in back-to-back days during the playoffs was in 2016 when he was with the Cubs. Game six and seven of the World Series, and everybody knows about that famous two-run homer he gave up to Rajay Davis at Progressive Field. Aroldis Chapman is just not the guy that can really go multiple innings, especially on back-to-back days. But Aaron Boone didn't heed the warning, and he brings him in with two out in the seventh inning to square up with Brandon Lau. He strikes out Brandon Lau to end the inning. Pedro Martinez on the TBS broadcast on their postgame show made a great point about this homer from Mike Brasso. And for those of you that don't know the result of the game... It was Mike Brasso's home run, the one you heard off the top of our broadcast, that broke the 1-1 tie and put Tampa Bay over the top and into the American League Championship Series. It was a pitch earlier in the at-bat that Brasso had walked way foul against Chapman. It was a slider on the inside part of the plate. He turned on it early and rocketed it foul. It was in that moment that Pedro said that Chapman didn't have the confidence to be able to throw his slider anymore. And the reason why he said that is go back to 2019. Game 7 of the ALCS, Jose Altuve hits the game-winning homer on a slider. Now, a lot of people think that Chapman knew what was coming. When we talked about the Astros sign-stealing scandal when we first launched this podcast, we had mentioned that issue that Aroldis Chapman was smiling really weirdly because he knew that Altuve knew what he threw. Now, in this scenario, Chapman knows that Brasso doesn't have the signs. The Rays are not cheaters like the Astros were. But it is well worth noting that after that foul ball, like Martinez said, Chapman lost confidence in throwing his slider. And I think that that home run from Altuve signed stolen or not, had a lot to do with that. So Brasso was sitting on a fastball, and he went low and inside, just like Brasso thought, because Chapman was losing control of his heater when he was trying to elevate it. Turns on an inside pitch, throws the barrel at it, and boom, rocket over the left field wall. Mike Brasso is an amazing story. Undrafted out of Oakland University, signed with the Rays as an undrafted free agent, after the 2016 draft, grinded his way through the Rays minor league system and got to the big leagues in 2019, was for the most part platooning with G-Man Choi over at first base, and Brasso comes in. He had come in as a pinch hitter when the Yankees had gone to Zach Britton after replacing Garrett Cole, and he just comes up with the biggest hit of his life. Mike Brasso is an argument for why the minor leagues needs to stay how it is and not get contracted. You don't have stories like Mike Brasso 
if you get rid of the modern model of the minor leagues. Guys like him, stories like his, are all that is right in baseball. And look, there's another guy in the Rays system that has a chance to make it with a big league club next year. We've had him on this podcast, Dalton Kelly, who was drafted in the 38th round by the Mariners in 2015. So we have a chance, if G-Man Choi does not return to the Rays, to have a platoon at first base of two guys that one of them was undrafted and one of them was drafted in the 38th round by another organization. That is what is great about what the minor leagues can do, how great player development can bring you stories like Mike Brasso. And I hope Major League Baseball changes course and decides to preserve all of these minor league teams. They've already announced that their Appalachian League, which was a short season league owned by Major League Baseball, was going to go to a collegiate wood bat model. So in some aspects, it is way too late to change course now. We will be on whatever changes come to Major League Baseball's minor league system once they start to become a little bit more clear. Now, there was a press release that was put out last week by Major League Baseball that now classified minor league teams as licensed affiliates of Major League Baseball teams or something along those lines. The language has changed from what it had been before, but the idea is basically that Major League Baseball is having full control over these minor league affiliates more so than they ever did in the past. But that's a conversation for another show. I want to go into the box score analysis of this game and touch on a couple more points that are critical to understand the outcome of this game, but also the outcome of this series. Garrett Cole leaves in the bottom of the sixth inning. He went 94 pitches. He allowed one run on one hit, the Austin Meadows homer, two walks, and nine strikeouts. 94 pitches. Zach Britton pitched yesterday, and he pitched, I believe, an inning in two-thirds. He comes in with one out in the bottom of the sixth inning. He throws 26 pitches and is very effective. Now, I was very critical of Aaron Boone's decision to bring in Aroldis Chapman with two outs in the bottom of the seventh, knowing very well that Chapman could end up pitching by the time it's all said and done two and a third innings out of the bullpen. Now, if he had had to do that and they would have won, they would have had today off and they would start the series against Houston on Sunday. So at least he would have had a full day off. However... Aaron Boone went to him because at this point, he could not trust Adam Adovino. He had to bring Zach Britton in as early as he did because he used up Chad Green. Basically, the Yankees at this point in the season had three reliable relievers, Chad Green, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman. You needed Garrett Cole to go at least six innings. You needed him to potentially get into the seventh and you weren't able to do that. Now, granted, Garrett Cole was pitching on three days rest. But Garrett Cole has been around long enough now to know that if you're getting paid $324 million, or maybe it's 326, I can't remember, but if you're a $300-plus million pitcher and you're getting the ball in a winner-take-all game five, you are going until your arm falls off or you're going until your manager says, I can't pitch you anymore. 
I thought that Garrett Cole was too darn effective to be pulled as early as he was. And because he was pulled that early, the inning and a third that Zach Britton threw was used in the sixth and the seventh instead of the seventh and the eighth. And if you felt like you couldn't use Chad Green, the goal was simply you can't use your bullpen until the seventh inning. And if the Yankees had been able to bring Britton in some point during the seventh, if not the start of the seventh, they may have had a better chance of winning this ball game. Adam Adovino is the guy you brought in to be one of your premier setup guys. And Adam Adovino this year was just quite simply not good. Not good to the point where you couldn't rely upon him to pitch at all in a close ball game. This season, by the way, for Adam Adovino, he made 24 appearances. He had a 5.89 ERA. He allowed 12 runs on 20 hits in 18 in the third. He walked nine, struck out 25. Adam Adovino, the year before, had a 1.9 ERA in 73 appearances, spanning 66 and a third innings with the New York Yankees. His final year with Colorado, a 2.43 ERA in 75 appearances, over 77 and two-thirds innings. Something happened to Adam Adovino where he was just not pitchable anymore. That's a $9 million a year reliever. You gave him way too much money to not use him at all. And granted, I know he's been bad. You've got to throw him out there at some point. You very much overused your high leverage arms. As for Tampa, their bullpen strategy worked to perfection. And here's why. Because Tampa has a plan. They know exactly how they're going to structure each game. They know which relievers are going to be ready to pitch on which days. So this is how Tampa structured their game. The Rays were able to save two of their main high-leverage relievers. Now I say three of them. Nick Anderson, Pete Fairbanks, and Diego Castillo for today by using the combo of Ryan Thompson as an opener and using Ryan Yarborough as a bulk reliever in Game 4. So Tyler Glasnow is a starter, but this was effectively his bullpen day. He goes two and a third, doesn't allow a hit. He throws 37 pitches. Nick Anderson comes in. He gives up the home run to Aaron Judge, but he goes two and two-thirds, two hits, one run, two strikeouts. He throws 32 pitches. Then Pete Fairbanks comes in to start the top of the sixth inning. He goes two innings, 40 pitches, one hit, one walk, and three strikeouts. And then Diego Castillo comes in for the top of the eighth inning. He goes two innings, 29 pitches, no hits, one walk, four strikeouts. Tampa's pitchers all through between 29 and 40 pitches in their outings. Every pitcher went at least two innings. No pitcher went more than two and two-thirds. This was how Tampa wanted to set it up. This was their strategy from the get-go. They knew they wanted to limit Glasnow to under 40 pitches. Then they knew that they wanted Nick Anderson to follow him, hopefully get two and a third, maybe three. They got two and two-thirds. Then Fairbanks to follow him and then Castillo to follow him. And in case Castillo got in trouble in the ninth, they had both Blake Snell and Charlie Morton up in their bullpen. 
and now both of them can start games one and two of the American League Championship Series, and Tyler Glasnow is going to be able to start game three on pretty regular rest. In fact, if I count my chickens correctly, and I don't know if that's the right term, with an off day today, Glasnow is going to get at least three days of rest unless Tampa Bay decides to go with Thompson, the opener, and Yarbrough again, in which case Glasnow can go on a full four days. By the way, it also means that Blake Snell is going to have regular rest when he starts on Sunday, and presumably it will be Blake Snell that starts on Sunday. Tampa Bay had three hits in this ballgame. Mike Brasso had two of them. The other one was Austin Meadows' solo homer. What an absolutely awesome day if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. On the other side, it was a heartbreaking day for the New York Yankees. Not only were they eliminated from the playoffs, Whitey Ford, the franchise's all-time leader in wins, passed away at the age of 91. The man who was known as the chairman of the board went 236-106 and 106 over his 16 years with the Yankees, posting a career ERA of 2.75. He won his only Cy Young Award in 1961 when he beat out Milwaukee's Warren Spahn by posting a 25-4 record with a 321 earned run average. In his 16 seasons, Ford was named to 10 All-Star games, and he passed Red Ruffing in 1965 as the Yankees' all-time wins leader. Whitey Ford was a New Yorker through and through. He was born in Manhattan and grew up on Long Island. He spent his entire 16-year career with the New York Yankees. He missed, by the way, 1951 and 1952 because he was fighting in the Korean War. Whitey Ford won six World Series titles with the Yankees, winning them in 1950, 53, 56, 58, 61, and 62. He was also, in addition to winning the Cy Young Award, the World Series MVP, in 1961, he led the American League in wins three different times in 1955, 61, and 63, in which he had 18 wins, 25 wins, and 24 wins. Whitey Ford also was the two-time MLB ERA leader. That was in 1956 when he had a 2.47 ERA, and in 1958 when his ERA was a measly 2.01. Ford retired after the 1967 season and was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1974. He died 12 days shy of what would have been his 92nd birthday. He was born on October 21st, 1928. Rest in peace to Whitey Ford, probably the greatest Yankees starting pitcher of all time. And I don't think it's really fair for me to give a lot on Whitey Ford beyond the numbers because I don't have any personal experiences with Whitey Ford. I didn't follow him. He retired before I was born. So I don't think it's accurate for me to actually give an evaluation or say what this guy meant to me. I can only go based on the statistics. But there is one statistic that is pretty darn clear. Too many Hall of Fame baseball players have passed away this year. We had Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, and now Whitey Ford. We also had Ed Farmer a lot earlier in the year, not a Hall of Famer, but somebody that meant a lot 
to Chicago White Sox fans for generations and generations. The Yankees put the number 16 on their jersey sleeves for Game 5, but they were not able to win one for Whitey, and thus the Yankees season once again comes to a premature end short of a goal of making it to the World Series. This is the 11th straight season that the Yankees have not made it to the October Classic. I know in a shortened season that a lot of people are going to say, well, you got to flush it. They didn't have James Paxton. They didn't have everybody healthy. I would, for the most part, agree except for a couple of things. Number one, the Rays were better than you during the regular season. And number two, you guys looked like world beaters during the American League wildcard series against the Indians. So it wasn't as if the Yankees were entering this series against Tampa as severe underdogs that were somehow outperforming expectations. They were performing at the expectations during the first part of the playoffs that were set upon them before the season even began. Everybody back in January thought that when they signed Garrett Cole that the Yankees were the odds-on favorite to win the American League and potentially win the World Series. And after Game 1, a lot of people were already crowning the Yankees as champions of the American League because of how good they had been offensively in their first three playoff games, the first two coming against Cleveland. But the Yankees did not prevail, and now there will be questions about them all offseason. To finish up here on MLB Morning Coffee, the start times for the ALCS and the NLCS have been released by Major League Baseball. So I want to go over the first few games with you in regards to when to expect each game to occur. The ALCS is going to be exclusively on TBS, and the NLCS is going to be on Fox and FS1. So on Sunday at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, from San Diego, it's Game 1 of the ALCS between the Houston Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays. Monday, October 12th. The Rays and the Astros are going to be playing at 1 o'clock Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time at Petco Park. Dodgers and Braves will play at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific on Fox. Gosh, I sounded like a promo guy there. No start times have been announced for the rest of the games. There will be no off days during this series, which means the latest that the series can end for the American League is Saturday, October 17th. That would be Game 7. The latest it can end for the National League is Sunday, October 18th. The World Series is going to begin on October 20th regardless. Game 2 of the World Series will be on October 21st. There will be an off day on the 22nd. Games 3 and 4 will be on the 23rd and the 24th. Game 5 on the 25th if necessary. And if it goes to a Game 6, Monday, October 26th is going to be an off day with Tuesday, October 27th and Wednesday, October 28th being the two days that will serve as the potential game six and seven of the World Series. So there you have it. That is your schedule for the rest of the playoffs. We are down to four. We are going to take tomorrow off. And then we will come back on Monday with a recap of game one between the Astros and the Rays preview both games, Game 2 of the ALCS and Game 1 of the NLCS, 
and talk about some other headlines that are going around Major League Baseball. We can't just do recap episodes anymore. There just quite simply are not enough games. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee on a Saturday morning here at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco. Enjoy the baseball on Sunday, and please do remember that Black Lives Matter.